This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 3, Episode 29. Stop making faces at me, Howard. 15 minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. And I'm still making faces at Brandon. Yes, but that's not the title of the podcast. It's actually Antiheroes, um, of which you are not. We want to do an anti-hero podcast because there are lots of definitions flying around of what an anti-hero is, and I was trained one way in college, which is not the way that people normally use the word. So, Dan, what is an anti-hero? Okay, well, to my thinking, there are three definitions of anti-hero that you see a lot of, and uh, I, I call them the Frodo and the Punisher and the talented Mr. Ripley. So we okay. start with Frodo. Frodo, um, Frodo is the, the type of anti-hero that is a reflection of the hero. Uh, follows all of the heroic conventions, and then at the end, instead of overcoming his problems, he is overcome by them. Okay. So, so you say reflection of the hero. He's not a reflection of the hero in the book. He's reflection of like the hero reflection archetype. Of the hero archetype. Okay. Yeah, exactly. He does everything right except the end. Mm-hmm. He's the hero who then becomes a villain at the end. Yeah. It would be like if okay. Luke succumbed to the dark side at the end yeah. of Return of the Jedi, that would be a Frodo hero. That Frodo, be... anti-hero, which is mm-hmm. not really an anti-hero, but we'll accept it. We're, Wait, we're does that say, mean that yeah. Anakin is an anti-hero in the third Star Wars film, or should we just let that no, go? No, he is. He was always <laughs> yeah. intended to be he, he, an he anti-hero. He's definitely he's an actually anti-hero. A, yeah, this type of anti-hero. Yeah, he's definitely a Frodo anti-hero oh, in my opinion. Okay. All right. All right. Number I two. Contributed. Number two is the <laughs> Yay, most Howard. common one. Uh, today, under mm-hmm. by, by today's definition, that's the Punisher, which is basically the bad dude who you know uh, chews bubble gum and he's doing evil <laughs> in <laughs> order to achieve good purposes. Got he, lost. He's doing terrible things, but it's yes, all the bad people. Exactly. You know, yeah. he kills people, but they were all bad. Yeah. Uh, Wolverine and Punisher. There's a lot of you know the, the gritty crow. comic stuff. Um, you see it a lot, a ton of movies. And this has kind of overcome the definition of anti-hero and taken it into itself, which is really actually kind of bad, in my opinion, because this is the one that, that annoys me when we call these anti-heroes, because they really aren't. They, there's nothing really anti about them. Well, and they're shallow. They're very, well, they don't have to they be shallow. They don't have to be. They don't have to but be. But they often are because people think that this is enough yeah. to hang a whole character okay. on. Okay. Yeah, and we'll delve more into each of these three, but give us, mm-hmm. give us the last one. Okay, the third one, the one that Brandon accepts as uh, canonical, is what I call the talented Mr. Ripley hero, which is the main character of your story, the protagonist of your story, who is completely unsympathetic and unheroic in every way, and yet you are compelled to follow their story. Right. Um, my favorite example of this even though I didn't name the archetype after it, was uh, Perfume by Patrick Susskind, which is about a serial killer in uh, medieval France who, you know, is horrible and awful, and the entire story focuses on him, and you hate him the whole time, but it, right. it's, it's just fascinating right. to watch what he does. Now, let's throw two things in here that are not under the scope of this podcast. Number one is sympathetic villains. A sympathetic villain is different from an anti-hero. Mm-hmm. If you have a villain that we like that's a bad dude doing bad stuff and we like them, go listen to our okay. sympathetic so villains. So Anakin yeah. Skywalker is a Frodo anti-hero, Who becomes, but Darth Vader yeah. is a sympathetic villain. I don't know how sympathetic Darth Vader is until maybe the third movie. He ends more, up more as a, a sympathetic villain. a redeemed villain, villain than yeah. a sympathetic right. villain. Um, something else that gets tossed out here is the person who's unsympathetic at the beginning 
so that they can have a growth arc so you'll like them by the end. That's not an anti-hero. Um, that's just someone with a very steep character arc. Yeah. Um, anti-heroes, it's interesting. We want to talk about it because as writers who are listening to this podcast, you may have heard this term thrown around a lot. You may be thinking, I want to write an anti-hero book. And each of these different types, even though Brandon doesn't accept them as canonical, <laughs> as has been stated, um, do different things and can be very success- successful types of stories. Yeah. I just want you as listeners to be able to understand what actually makes an anti-hero and why it works. Frodo anti-heroes. Let's spend some time talking about them. Why do they work? How do you do them well? You know what? Frodo anti-heroes work well because because when you get to that point at the end of the story where the hero has fallen and has failed, um, you've, <laughs> you've, you've managed to turn the tension up uh, you know, past the breaking point. Mm-hmm. You've, you've managed to do something that... When Frodo fails, that's... At least the first time you read it. That's right. pretty darn amazing. Now, the fact that Gollum, you know, ends up saving the day, the book still gets a happy ending, which was awesome. Right. And, you know, but, the, the thing about this is what we're talking about are actually what generally be called the classical tragedy archetype. Yeah, we should yeah, do a different podcast say. on that. But that is the classical archetype of tragedy, a heroic person who does not succeed in the end. The mm-hmm. difference between tragedy and comedy classically was the hero would succeed in a comedy. It wasn't necessarily you laughed at one and you didn't at another. It was a person who failed. If you look at Oedipus, Oedipus was actually a very sympathetic hero, did a lot of things right, and then Mm -hmm. failed in the end almost because the gods just decided he had to. Yeah. Um, well, the well, gods decided the, he had to from right. the beginning. Yeah, right. Like, no, he did anyway. have a, a, a heroic flaw. But anyway, yeah, generally well, there will be we, a heroic we should, flaw. We save that, I guess, for the yeah. tragedy one. So I won't say any more about that. Yeah, let, let's move on and talk about these other two because these are the main anti-hero types. Um, and let's see. Let's talk about the, 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 Punisher, the Punisher anti-hero. Yeah, the Punisher, like I said, I think that's the one that everyone thinks of these days, or most yeah. people think of when they hear the term, and it's because it's become such a common thing to see, I guess, as yeah. we gridify our, our media. I would say that movies and comic books have had a lot to do with this. Mm-hmm. Um, they Turning the Dark Knight into a quote-unquote Punisher-style anti-hero in some of his stories, uh, Batman, and this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. um, it... You get a little bit of that from Batman, but not yeah. to the extent that you get it from the Punisher. Punisher or Lobo. Yeah. Batman's or, breaking the law yeah. by virtue of being a vigilante. Punisher is breaking the law by virtue of murdering people. Right. Right. Um, but why are these stories compelling? Why are they so successful? Um, Howard called them shallow. I, because I think that, and this is, uh, I'm going to get chewed to bits, I'm sure, Uh the, the problem I have with them, A, is that I love them okay. because uh, we love to see justice done mm-hmm. um, at the expense of propriety. And, and to, in, in, a real, in a very real sense, I think that undermines part of you know, what makes civilization work. Okay. And, but there's a, there's a part of us that says, boy, I really want to see justice served. Uh, and this and, person's going to do it for and us. This person's mm-hmm. going to do it for us because due process is getting in the way. And it's a very American sort of thing. It's, 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 in some ways, I think it is. And I, I think a lot of that modern definition comes out of the, the noir, the, the film noir. Yeah, when you say it's very American, I don't, yeah. think, it's, goes, I don't yeah. think it's American. Well, and noir it, comes I think from France, I guess. I think so it's I cowboy. That. Yeah, that's what I was saying, cowboy. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the concept of the, the you've got to take matters in your own hand. The high, whole idea of 
superheroes kind of feeds out of this whole culture of ours mm -hmm. that sometimes the system doesn't work. And we love that for some reason. Maybe it's because, you know, going back to our roots where America said, it's not working. We're going to, you know, <laughs> we're revolt. just going to do true. it ourselves. If you look yes. at the Punisher yeah. as an anti-hero, you have to say, well, gosh, you know, Batman's also an anti-hero. And yeah. so is Spider-Man because right. he's a vigilante. Well, and here's mm -hmm. the thing You're about all of these, all of these characters. The reason that I don't think they fit the classical definition is because they are wildly sympathetic. If you go yep. back to our podcast about mm -hmm. making sympathetic characters, what are they doing? These characters are extremely capable. And that mm -hmm. alone isn't enough to not make them an anti-hero, but they are very capable. We like that. They're also generally shown as having a lot of sympathetic qualities. They'll love mm -hmm. their dog. They'll be funny. They'll, um, they'll be doing good works, even if they're well, going to... And there's yeah. a lot of wish fulfillment in it. Right. There's yeah. a lot of that, because how many movies do you watch or stories you read where you just say, come on, hero, just punch him in the face right, right now. Even though a good guy hero is never going to do that, we love to read the story about the bad guy hero that will. Right. Jack Bauer. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to break for an advertisement right now uh, for Audible.com. We thought a lot about what we could do as a good anti-hero book, and we really didn't come up with anything. Yeah, because unfortunately, we all, Perfume is not on Audible. Yeah. We, we disagreed a lot on what was would make a good one. So I ended up choosing Good Omens, which is not really an anti-hero book, but it does deal a lot with a lot of cool concepts of good and evil, who is a hero and who is not. Mm -hmm. um, this, If you haven't read the story, it's by Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. It's hilarious and philosophical and awesome, and it's about what ha would happen if a an angel and a devil decide to try to stop the apocalypse by kidnapping the Antichrist and having him read, um, raised by a good suburban family. Um, so it's, it's, it's awesome. You should give it a listen. And if you do, go through our, um, our promo so that uh, Audible knows that people are clicking through. So it's mm -hmm. audible.com slash excuse. And, and you could it's potentially get the book for free. Is it Audible Podcast or is it Audible Cast? audiblepodcast.com slash excuse. All right. So if you do listen to this, please go through our link at audiblepodcast slash excuse to let them know that you're listening and that you appreciate them and you can get it for free. Yay. Yay. Because we appreciate them. Yes, we do. All right. Let's continue on with antiheroes. Let's talk about the final classical definition of an antihero. Um, I first... I learned about this in an English program. I got in the class and I said, okay, we're going to read one anti-hero novel this semester. I thought, oh, good. It's going to be something like The Punisher. Mm -hmm. um, and I was smacked <laughs> in the face when they gave me Madame Bovary, which is a boring um, book that I didn't like at all. And that was apparently the point. Dan, can you talk more about why the, these books exist? What's going on here? Um, they, they exist because... Some people find them fascinating, even though you found Madame Bovary boring. Yes. Um, and I, I think there's actually a lot of cultural uh, stuff involved there, because at the time it came out, it was fascinating, um, because it was the kind of thing no one had ever seen before. Right. Uh, another one is The Stranger by Albert Camus. It, it was popular in large part because no one had ever read a story about an unsympathetic jerk before. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really fascinating. And this allows us to tell stories about serial killers, about Hitler, about you know people that would otherwise not be able to be the protagonist of a story if we didn't have this kind of device to, to treat them. All right. now, I think I just found a metaphor that works. 
this time of year, it, it's actually especially appropriate. The hero is like, is like Christmas Day. That's the person you want to be all year long. The anti-hero, the true classical anti-hero, is like Halloween, when you dress up like somebody you should never, ever be. Well, see, but we still celebrate Halloween. The thing about th that metaphor is Halloween, there's wish fulfillment. In a lot of anti-hero books, you don't want to be this person. You would never want to be this person. Their life is dreary. They are miserable for most of their life, or they are just pure evil. And there is no sort of desire, it, but it's, it's, sometimes it is mm. fascinating to well, read his, about. His you metaphor just works if we look at up the as history the right of person Halloween. For Halloween. <laughs> What's that? So his metaphor still works if we look at the history of right, Halloween. You know, the old Halloween where you would burn children in wicker cages, <laughs> that's the original <laughs> wow. definition of the antihero. Modern Halloween where you dress up like Spider-Man, you get candy from your neighbor, that's the Punisher antihero. <laughs> okay. Wow, <laughs> Dan, way to rescue that metaphor. We sound brilliant now. Well, you do. Um, now you would all to Howard. <laughs> I say that every day. <laughs> okay. Um, our listeners, they think they're going to write an antihero story. Let's give them some advice for the last part of the podcast. What Don't should they try do? to sell it. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Don't try to sell it. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, first of all, figure out what you really want out of an antihero story. Yeah, if you say to yourself, you this? I want to do an antihero what kind of antihero are you really thinking about? You know, yeah. do you want to do the talented Mr. Ripley who, you know, murders a guy and takes his place just because he can? Or do you want to do Wolverine who kicks butts and slashes? Or do you want to do or or do you want to do the the one that isn't really an antihero that's just, you know, the the guy who's who starts out despicable and ends the story being right. wonderful, a hero right. with a really steep character arc. Yeah. Right? And I think most people who are wanting to write anti-hero stories, they're kind of getting either Punisher or that one. Um, if you really do want to write a classical anti-hero, you've got to remember what is, what is going to pull people through these stories. You always want to be asking yourself that. Why mm -hmm. are they going to turn the page? And yeah. come up with what it's going to do. Is it, is it, this is the question is, what is he going to do next? Mm -hmm. What terrible thing is he going to do next? Or is it going to be, how is he going to fail? How is he going to be caught? Um, is it plotting? Is it character? What is driving people to read? And if you're not going to have a sympathetic protagonist, that's going to be really tough, and you're going to have to be very careful about it. Um, I also think that if you set out to write an antihero, you are going to have to know ahead of time how you're going to work the ending. Yeah. And, and we're going to talk about this more with tragedies when we do that episode, but most antiheroes do not have happy endings. Yeah. I mean, any of those three kinds is not going to have a happy ending. It's either a good hero who fails, or it's a jerk hero who, you know, can't end happy because Punisher's never happy. <laughs> or it's, you know, a serial killer who, even if he is happy, the reader's not going to be happy because why would I be sympathizing with this serial killer? Right. So you need to know how you're going to end it without disappointing your readers. I guess it builds upon the promises you make. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things we keep bringing up. All right. I am so glad I haven't read... <laughs> any true classical <laughs> anti-hero books I, because they just don't sound fun to me. All right. Uh, your writing prompt is going to be to write a true classical anti-hero and make it fun for Howard. I don't actually have to read what they write, do yes, I? Yes, you do. Yeah. And you have to oh, grade them. Yeah. And you All have to right. have dinner at their house. And you this schlockmercenary at gmail.com. <laughs> Go ahead and send me. I, you, want, to, I want you guys to do this. All right. Oh, All dear. right. <laughs> this has been Riding Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write something awful. <laughs>
If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 